welcome to Two Pills Podcast. Today I am so excited to have our guest, Dr. Michael Neville, with us. Just to describe Dr. Neville, he says that he laughs when he thinks about his view of the world as a young man. He would describe his, quote, purposeful academic journey, unquote, like this. Take a stick, throw it in a stream, watch where it ends up. And when he was a kid, he thought that those who became valedictorians were just lucky. He barely got into pharmacy school and struggled when he got there and then figured out what was going on right as he was finishing his degree. He knew he wanted to help people, and so he has. So welcome, Dr. Neville. Thank you. So just to get started, I know we went through a little bit of a bio, but can you tell us about yourself and a little bit about your teaching style? Sure. Um, I grew up in Georgia. Uh, My parents were both educators. Uh, I attended the University of Georgia and was really struggling to figure out what I wanted to major in. I always knew that I enjoyed interacting with people and I loved biological sciences. And I was flipping through the university catalog trying to figure out what can I major in. And I landed on pharmacy. And I went home. I remember going home one weekend to tell my parents that I wanted to major in pharmacy. And they were so both disappointed because they wanted me to be a teacher. And so... um, I ended up majoring in pharmacy, uh, struggled in pharmacy school quite a bit, um, and but ultimately got on track. Um, I remember telling my advisor in pharmacy school, at the time you could still learn a Bachelor of Science in pharmacy, and I told her that I wanted to get my Doctor of Pharmacy degree, and she laughed. Um, because she knew I wasn't such a great student. Um, And by the time I got into my Doctor of Pharmacy curriculum, um, I ended up really, I think, maturing a lot and uh, understanding better what I wanted to do. I also uh, had the privilege, I grew up in Metro Atlanta, and so I had the privilege of doing some of my fourth-year experiences at Emory University Hospital in Atlanta. Um, And that's an academic medical center. And it was a really incredible opportunity for me because I got to see pharmacists really working closely with other disciplines, nurses, social workers, physical therapists, physicians, all of these different people, and they were making incredible interventions on behalf of patients, and it was the first time I'd ever really seen other people turn to the pharmacist to say, what do you think we should do? And I was really blown out of the water as I was wrapping up my fourth year experiences there because they asked me, would I like to stay and do a residency? And so this was around right around 1992, vastly different than what our folks Uh, who are in pharmacy school now have to go through to get a residency, I was just simply asked, would you like to stay and do one? And I I said, sure, it sounds like a good idea. So I had the privilege of doing a what was then called a general clinical residency at Emory Hospital. And um, after I finished that, I got a job as a clinical pharmacist at another hospital, um, which was called Crawford Long Hospital, Mm -hmm. downtown Atlanta, which is now called Emory Hospital Midtown. Um, Worked there as a clinical pharmacist, doing a lot of things that uh, my residency didn't well prepare me for, but they were really exciting things. Um, Later found out that there was a position open at um, back at Emory Hospital where they were looking for a faculty member to teach pharmacology to undergraduate and graduate nursing students. Somebody told me, they said, hey, Michael, you should apply for that. You'd be a great teacher. So it was a part-time position teaching pharmacology in the nursing program and Uh, serving as an internal medicine clinical pharmacist at Emory Hospital. And that's how I got into academia. That was in 1996. And um, my journey has been, there have been a lot of things that I wish I would have known when I started, but um, it really has been less purposeful and less planned out than I would have thought. Um, But I'm currently serving, uh, to fast forward, I'm currently serving as assistant dean for students at a smaller private university called Wingate University, which is just outside of Charlotte in North Carolina. Wonderful. Thank you. 
Well, just a couple things to talk about there. Um, it sounds like in your current role, you work a lot with students. I know you're interested in student resilience and coping skills. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe how you've used your own experience um, to serve in that role? Sure. Um, I had the pr- pleasure this year of, of uh, serving on the Student Services Committee, uh, which is one of the standing committees at AACP um, during President Scott's um, tenure this year. And I served with some other faculty members from around the country, as well as another student. And we talked about resilience. And our charge was really to look at, at resilience and coping skills of our students to figure out why it is that we're seeing some downturn in resilience and coping, and to figure out, are there things that we can do to support our students better? Um, What I particularly notice in my school is that uh, we're noticing more and more students who come in and when they have failures, like should they fail an exam or should they fail a course, it doesn't really seem like they bounce back as easily as they used to in the past. Um, I don't think we really quite understand why that is. I have made good friends with our counselors on our campus, uh, and it was interesting over coffee. One of them said, sometimes our students who come to school today, she said, I think that their parents have so bulldozed problems out of their way that by the time they get to college, when they have their first failure, she said they, a lot of them even think about committing suicide because they just don't really know how to deal with failure. And so this committee actually worked hard to try to come up with some recommendations for our organization, AACP, and also some things that schools of pharmacy should think about. Um, We're actually delivering a presentation um, later today in the program. Um, I had the honor of serving with some other folks, uh, one from North Dakota State University and one from the University of California, San Francisco. And our um, title of our presentation is about the realness of stress and Mm -hmm. and, uh, talking about resilience. So we're all going to talk about different things that we can do to help support our, our students who are struggling. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you mentioned that your journey was kind of unplanned, um, maybe had a little bit, uh, you said, you know, maybe not as purposeful. So if you had a brand new faculty member who came to you, or if you were assigned to mentor a new faculty member, what insight do you wish you had on your first day teaching? I think probably one of the most important things for faculty members to to understand. Um, It's interesting because if you look at job postings today for requirements or ideal characteristics for a faculty member to join a school of pharmacy, what you'll see is postgraduate residency training is almost always listed as a requirement. What's funny about that to me is that postgraduate residency training prepares pharmacists to care for patients at an advanced level. And we have seen the emergence over the last several years of some of these residency training programs have also developed a teaching certificate, so there's more teaching. However, I would actually say that residency training itself does nothing really to prepare you for the role of a faculty position in a school of pharmacy. So what I really believe in is the power of mentoring. I think it's very important that a new faculty member pair up with someone who's had experience. I've had the pleasure of a few previous pharmacy residents 
um, that I, I had the pleasure of serving as a pharmacy residency director in the Emory system. And some of those previous pharmacy residents who have since pursued academic positions and are serving at the assistant professor role contact me and tell me about some different problems that they were struggling with. And I've had the pleasure of serving as a mentor to some of those people. And I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. I would actually tell you that the way I have learned how to teach and the way that I have learned how to be a faculty member is by making every mistake you could possibly make. Um, I really didn't know how to write a test question. I really didn't know how to cope with students who were manipulating me. I really didn't know how to read course evaluations. It's so funny, as human beings, we tend to read all these course evaluations and there can be 99 positive comments and one person says, you stink, mm -hmm. you're no good, and that's the only thing you focus on. Mm -hmm. And so there are just so many elements of being a faculty member that receiving education to be a great clinician does not prepare you for. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so just going along that line, because I agree with you, I think mentoring is so important as part of your faculty development and professional development. Do you have any advice for how to be a good mentor or how to be a good mentee? I think um, when you look in the literature, it's interesting because mentoring sometimes looks very loose. Mm -hmm. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, you can actually find published mentoring contracts mm -hmm where let's say that I want you to be my mentor and we actually sit down maybe over coffee, over lunch, and I describe to you what I'm looking for. And in a formalized way, we sit down and come to some agreement about what it is that you can provide for me and we actually sign a contract. Um, other, on the other end of that spectrum, um, I actually probably would say that I tend to seek out mentors who can be more flexible. I don't sign contracts with anybody. I also, when I am serving in the, I should say, when I'm serving in the role of mentee, when I'm looking for a mentor support, I'm not wanting to sign any contracts with them. In the same way, when I've served as a mentor for others, I don't seek out that formalized type of approach, mm -hmm. although that might be helpful for some people um, if they're not really clear about what it is they're looking for, or if they want to maybe set some limits or time parameters. Um, I think that mentoring is really important, and um, so many times we all have blind spots. We don't really, I think a mentor is, is critical because they can actually help you um, see things from a different perspective that you're not aware of. I also love seeking out mentors who are not in my own institution mm -hmm. because I can share an upset or a story or a scenario with them. And I can share it in a cryptic way that the pharmacy world, as we all know, is very small. Absolutely. And so, but I can still share it in a cryptic way that they don't know who it is that I'm talking about and they can give me their perspective. And it's just so helpful. So identifying those people early on and identifying many, if you can, mm -hmm. um, is really, really helpful. I completely agree. I love the idea. I mean, I talk about how my assigned mentor um, is still one of my close friends, but I sought out mentorship from lots of senior faculty, like you said, at my institution and then at others as well. So in addition to having the person, are there any books, podcasts, resources that you would recommend for a faculty member as they're you know, proceeding through this career? Sure. Um, I think that there are many books that you'll oftentimes find in mentoring types of programs. Um, I think that one of the things that I've had the 
the good pleasure of participating in as the Academic Leadership Fellows Program through AACP. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that they, they ask all of the folks to do, I think they're probably still doing this, is to go through the Gallup Strengths Finders mm-hmm. to understand more about what your strengths are. And Gallup's really encourages people to lead from their strengths. As human beings, it's funny. I might tend to look at you and say, she has all of those strengths and I wish I had them or I want to try to behave like she does. Gallup really discourages that and encourages you instead to really lead and operate from your own strengths and that if we all bring our strengths together, then we can be more powerful as an organization and move things forward. Um, There are a number of different books on mentoring. It's also encouraging, I think, to read. I'm not going to be able to call these to mind right here in the podcast, but um, you can certainly find lots of different books on mentoring. Um, And I I also love reading these types of books, especially when they're non-pharmacy related, because Mm -hmm. I think as pharmacists, we really tend to like to look at pharmacy literature, but I really encourage people to also look in the business literature and also to look in other literature to see how others are mentoring. I think it's very, very helpful. Absolutely. I was talking to someone the other day, and she was saying that in their um, social administrative science courses, you know, we talk about management and business plans and leadership. And what they realized is that they could collaborate with the business school on campus and share seminars, you know, I mean, because there's so much related content. So Sure. I, I think that that the management pharmacy uh, aspect and collaboration, I think, is really important. We do have some pharmacy students, as you know, who even maybe aspire to own their own pharmacy one mm-hmm. day. So getting connected with business people can be very helpful. Absolutely. So I'm sure you have a lot of these, but there is there a student experience or question um, that has left a lasting memory for you? Um, I don't know that I can say that there's a particular um, situation or mm-hmm. student that's left a lasting memory. Um, I could give you a few stories, but I would say in general, um, when I, ha- I have served as a pharmacy faculty member or as a faculty member in general longer than I've served in an administrative capacity. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, my parents wished for me ultimately to become a teacher. They were thrilled when I, of course, ultimately wound up in pharmacy academia. I would say that um, it's just a great thrill to be able to stand in front of a class and to work with students and to see people really get it Mm -hmm. and later on to actually email you or contact you and say thank you. Um, I used to teach nursing students, as I mentioned early on, teach them the dreaded pharmacology course, and this was a course for undergraduate and graduate nursing students that would oftentimes make them start crying if they, you know, were struggling in school. And I challenged students a lot. I put them on the spot. I did a lot of things that I needed as a student, mm-hmm. and they hated it when they were going through it. But I've had so many nurses who are working in the metro Atlanta area and all around the country email me. Even still, people will periodically email and say, I'm a nurse working in an emergency room and your pharmacology course was so impressive that physicians are asking me, where did I go to school? And that kind of thing is really very, very rewarding. Mm -hmm. So if ever I can help people be on track, I would also say in my current role serving as assistant dean for students, where I see people struggling because of personal or other issues, if I can provide support for them to keep them on track so that they can graduate, that's also a really great reward for me. Absolutely. And so when you are coming up with ideas on how to work with your students or how to teach, who inspires you or where do you get your best ideas? That's a great question. I think, you know, for me, I mentioned early on about how 
residency training does not prepare you to serve as a faculty member. So I think what I did, and I imagine what many others have done, is you reflect back on your own learning journey and all of the people who taught you. And what you try to do is you try to think about who are the teachers that most inspired me? Why did they inspire me? Um, who are the teachers that I did not like and why did I not like them? And what you do is you try to copy some of their behaviors, those that inspired you and those that, that made a difference in your life. I can remember in pharmacy school we had um, our dean of students, um, who was Dr. Wolfgang, he actually memorized everybody's name. I know. And so this is an example. I, When I became a faculty member, first became a faculty member, I said, I want to copy that. Mm -hmm. Because it was so meaningful to me that someone in the school would recognize me. And my classmates were so astounded by his ability to do that that we thought he had memorized our names by where we sat in our room that we would actually move around and raise our <laughs> hand to see if he could still call our names. Mm -hmm. He still could, and I even saw him outside of pharmacy school in a mall once, and he knew my name. So that's an example of where... I, as a student, was so inspired and by someone who taught me that I vowed that if I should ever become a teacher that I would want to copy that, and I did. Um, what I would actually do for nursing students when I first got into academia is I would get pictures of all of them and try to memorize. I would work over Labor Day and really try to memorize all of their names and faces, and it would be a class of about 100 people so that by... Really, the first week of class, I could call them by name, and they were shocked, yeah. just as I was. And so those types of things where you think, well, this probably wouldn't make a big difference, they're big for students. I couldn't agree more, and I'm so glad you brought up Dr. Wolfgang, because I think he inspired so many people to work with students, because he did just such a fantastic job of it. Sure. So... Well, my last question for you is, what is your overall prescription for success, happiness in this job and then in general? It's so funny. As I watch students, um, we are working so hard to train our students to take care of others. They sit down with patients and they talk to them about a proper diet. They talk to them about how important it is to get exercise. They talk to them about how important it is to wear sunscreen, how important it is to sleep, etc. What's very funny is that we don't see our students doing that for themselves. And I think so many times healthcare providers are the worst as far as taking care of themselves. And so my prescription for our students, but as well as that, our faculty, we heard our keynote speaker mm -hmm. speaking about the fact that we're so tempted to overwork. So I think it's really important to take time out for ourselves, um, to go on walks. Uh, they say sitting is the next killer. It's, mm -hmm. it's like smoking. So to be up on our feet um, and to really take care of ourselves, I have actually found I'm really challenging myself to, instead of eating a big lunch, uh, to go work out at the gym and mm -hmm. be on the elliptical or take a spin class or just walk and be out of, the can uh, be out of my building. Um, those are my prescriptions. And what I challenge our students to do is really to do the same thing. I saw this screen on one of the stationary bicycles in our gym that said we have tracked attendance and students who are coming to exercise in the McGee Center have higher GPAs than those students who don't. Wow. And so 
that's one of the things that I would prescribe for our faculty as well of our as well as our students is to really take care of themselves as much as they want the students to take care of our patients. I think that's so fantastic and it completely makes sense. I think all of us can agree that when even if you're in the middle of a huge research project, you have a big deadline or for students they have big exams, if you go to the gym or go outside, you just get a little mental break, and then you can come back so much more focused. Definitely. Absolutely. I agree. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. I'm so glad I got to speak with you.